You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. Iran's crackdown on internet channels of dissent continues. Intel processors are determined to have a deep security flaw, and cloud users are likely to be affected. A macOS local privilege escalation vulnerability is published. The Trackmageddon location service vulnerability seems to originate in a buggy API. The Suicide Forest video appears to have passed through YouTube's human curators. And the man arrested in the Wichita police shooting may have been a serial swatter. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, January 3rd, 2018. Iran continues to crack down on dissent as the government faces street protests and online organizing. Protesters and their supporters are dissatisfied with the Islamic Republic on at least two points. They object to what they characterize as a badly mismanaged economy, whose privations have been rendered worse by official corruption, and they see the regime as being far too concerned with things going on outside the country. Support for Hezbollah in particular, and the Palestinian cause in general, have been singled out for chanted denunciation by protesters. There have also been surprising expressions of nostalgia for Shah Reza Pahlavi, deposed by the Islamic Revolution of January 1979. There seem to have been no calls by protesters for the release of still-interned leaders of the failed 2009 Green Revolution. Statements by senior officers in Iran make it clear that in their view the unrest is driven by foreign enemies whose weapon is information. That concern is about alleged foreign involvement in what has the appearance of grassroots protests. The chief deputy of staff of the Iranian Armed Forces, Brigadier General Jazayeri, said yesterday that anyone who remained silent in the face of what the Mare News Agency called a comprehensive plan of enemies to change beliefs, thoughts, and behavior of the nation should be held to account. As the Brigadier General put it, quote, In the current situation, urgent and decisive measures should be taken by the relevant agencies to achieve secure and domestic cyberspace. End quote. The leader of the Revolutionary Guard said this afternoon that the uprisings had been decisively put down, but few observers are so far willing to accept that assertion at face value. More than 20 are reported to have been killed since last Thursday. Nearly 500 are thought to have been arrested. Government-organized counter-demonstrators took to the streets this morning to denounce the protests and chant, Death to America. 
following the regime's line that the unrest had been fomented by enemies abroad. Tehran has sought to restrict Internet access in order to deprive dissenters with both a platform and a means of organization. Telegram and Instagram have so far received most of the government's attention. As ready access to these platforms is lost, many in the country seem to be turning to Tor connections for Internet access. While the cyber implications of the Islamic Republic's response have for the most part been domestic, confined to Iran, security experts warn those outside of Iran who may have had actual or apparent contact with Iranian citizens to beware of spear phishing. This is expected to be carried out by the government-associated INFI threat group. INFI has in the past shown a willingness and ability to target foreign persons of interest. A major security flaw has been reported in Intel x86 processors produced over the past decade. Details remain sketchy as Intel prepares an announcement, but apparently attackers can identify and exploit normally protected kernel memory. All major operating systems are affected. Users of cloud services may also experience issues noticeable as slowdowns in their service. Amazon Web Services has told users to expect a major security update Friday. Observers speculate that Microsoft will address the problem in its January 10 patches. AMD has noted with pardonable satisfaction that its chips don't suffer from this flaw. On January 1, 2018, some new security requirements kicked in for government contractors who work for the Department of Defense or Intelligence Community. They are now mandated to comply with a NIST Special Publication 800-171. Thomas Jones is a federal systems engineer with Bay Dynamics, and he helps us make sense of the new mandate. December 30th, 2015, the DOD actually amended to their uh, requirements for actually uh, compliance with contracts. So if you're going to do business with the DOD, uh, you had to actually fall into two areas, uh, new areas within uh, uh, the DFAR contracts. Uh, one's around uh, protection of controlled unclassified information, and the other one's around reporting breaches within your uh, organization. So it reaches outside of what is normally considered federal purview into the contractor community or into the civilian community and actually tells them how to set and control you know, safety standards in their IT systems. Uh, so this is one of the first times they've done that for non-classified information. There's always been something in place for classified information, things that are secret or top secret or, or what have you. But this actually touches upon the non-classified information, the you know, social security numbers of individuals, the contact information, as, as well as sensitive but non-classified information that you simply wouldn't want other people to have from an individual perspective and from a national perspective. So what are the real-world practical implications of this? Well, the, it's actually been very interesting. A lot of times you implement these with, with contractors, and it's a fairly straightforward process. You tell them that uh, you know, it, their contracts are dependent upon them, and they roll them out. But this one's a, a little different in that it, it's not just the prime contractors that had to be in line with these requirements. It's also the subcontractors. So each one of the primes have to go back to their subcontractors and make sure that they're actually adhering to these best practices. And that becomes a little dicey when you're talking about you know, subcontractors that are uh, two or three uh, men, you know, mom and pop shops, hmm. where they don't have the resources to implement this. Uh, so the real world implications are that you potentially have a, a situation where a prime contractor could lose you know, a, a multi-million dollar contract 
based on a small subcontractor um, not being able to or not being aware of the requirements around protecting the controlled unclassified information. Did these requirements become retroactive? And no, it's not. There's actually been a, a softening of the general requirement, and I call it a softening. Uh, the, the DOD is saying there's no change at all, but they're, they're simply requiring by the January 1st deadline that uh, people have a, a reporting mechanism in place. So you can generate a report saying that you're compliant with these 14 key areas of 800-171. And in those areas that you may not have actually implemented the controls, uh, that you have a plan to get in place and a, a date to get in place by, which is a, a little softer than having to have all those controls in place by the January 1st deadline, uh, which is the way most contractors have been approaching this. So is there a secondary deadline now that's been put out there for, for having to actually have things in place? Not that I've been able to find. It's uh, And I've been searching uh, long and hard for that. <laughs> but uh, there, there doesn't seem to actually be anything in place uh, that you know draws a line in the sand and says, you know, by this date, uh, you need to have these in place. What you do need to have play in place by January 1st is a plan to actually fulfill all 14 key areas within your organization, including identification of, of the data that has to be protected, uh, a risk assessment of the organization to determine you know, what the critical controls need to be in place first, what patches need to actually be uh, implemented first, and what risks really are your, your greatest risks within the organization, as well as things like uh, encrypting data in rest, data in motion, and doing things like controlling uh, the flow of data within the organization, where it can go, who can access it, and the ways it may be accessed. That's Thomas Jones from Bay Dynamics. A researcher known by the handle Seguza has published a macOS local privilege escalation vulnerability that could be exploited for root access and code execution. The vulnerability was apparently not disclosed to Apple before publication. There's currently no fix available, but Cupertino is doubtless working on one. The flaw is not believed to be remotely exploitable. You would need physical access to work your bad magic, which renders the bug less interesting to skids and script kiddies. Seguza cites this, and Apple's lack of a bug bounty program, in justification of his decision to publicly disclose his findings, as opposed to giving Apple a heads up. Two researchers yesterday disclosed issues with a vulnerable API used for GPS tracking services that can expose location data, audio recordings, image files, and device information. They're calling it Trackmageddon. The afflicted sites are policing themselves up one by one. Logan Paul's now infamous and repellent YouTube video from Japan's suicide forest has been taken down and an apology from Paul posted in its place. Paul's fans and detractors have taken their predictable defensive or offensive stances. YouTube itself has come in for more interesting criticism. Both Wired Magazine and TechCrunch have called out the video platform, Wired arguing that the incident should be a reckoning, and TechCrunch deciding that YouTube is more responsible for the video than one might at first judge a platform to be. According to the report in TechCrunch, YouTube manually reviewed the video after concerned viewers flagged it. The content assessment team saw the video and, according to the report, left it up without so much as an age restriction. It's not as if the nature of the content was particularly difficult to discern, of course. The video's title, you recall, was We Found a Dead Body in the Japanese Suicide Forest, and the thumbnail showed the suicide victim. 
Logan Paul might be accused of many things, but failure to judge what would prove to be clickbait is not among them. The incident again shows the difficulty of content management, whether by machines, humans, or some centaur mix of the two. It also shows why Google is likely to remain in hot water in the UK, where it recently failed to respond to questions about extremist content posed by Parliament's Home Affairs Committee. Tyler Raj Barris, or at least his online persona Swatistic, is said by Krebs on Security to have tweeted late last week a boast of having called in bomb threats or SWAT teams at some 10 homes and more than 100 schools. Barris was arrested in connection with the tragic and lethal swatting attack that took the life of an innocent and uninvolved father of two late last week. The victim's address seems to have been chosen for its plausible proximity to the actual target and for the lulls. Explaining himself to Krebs on security, Barris said, quote, Bomb threats are more fun and cooler than SWATs, in my opinion, and I should have just stuck to that. But I began making dollars doing some SWAT requests. End quote. The investigation continues, looking at both the police officer who fired and for other gamers who might have been involved in the dispute that led to the swatting. Our heartfelt condolences to the family of the victim, Andrew Finch. May they receive comfort consolidation, and justice. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Joe, welcome back. Hey, Dave. So we have survived another holiday season, and yep. uh, with that is going to come a flood of new IoT devices yep. hitting the web. People will probably receive some ourselves. But yes, people gadgets. Will, gadgets, being gadget guys, people will give us things with best intentions. 
and say, here, you can use this. Just, yeah. And it, and the, the first thing that device is going to want is your Wi-Fi password. That's right. Access to your network. <laughs> right. And it wants to go connect to some external server and start uploading data somewhere. And uh, it also may want to create some external port. Like there, there might be some kind of camera where you now can go out and uh, view your camera, a security camera, for example, from the outside world. So if you're at work, you can check on your dog and your cat. You know, watch what the nanny's doing if you have a nanny. Sure. People should be aware that when these things come, they're going to come with some default password. That's the first thing I'm going to recommend. If you get a new device that is accessible on the Internet, if, first off, evaluate, do you truly need this device? <laughs> That's, do, do you need that connectivity? Do you need that connectivity? Right. If you believe that you do, Take the time to secure it and change the default passwords sure. so that people aren't just you know, logging in remotely or, or putting it in some botnet like, uh, like the Mariah botnet. And do that, I mean, quickly, right quickly. away. You can do quickly. that in a way before it's connected to... Because I've seen these reports where you know, people will hose up a camera to the Internet and it takes I mean, it's moments before right. that thing is owned by outside forces. That's correct. So if you can disconnect your Internet connection and then connect the new device to the Wi-Fi network... And you can still actually connect to it from your computer. It just can't reach the Internet. And then you can go ahead and change the password if that's possible. And what about the idea of basically having a, a, a guest network for all your IoT devices, so separating it from the computers where you keep important information? Yeah, I would, I would definitely recommend doing that if you, if you have that technical capability and the hardware to do it. Yeah, that's always a good thing to do. It's segmentation. It's a basic security practice. It's a good idea. Uh, however, that's not going to stop those things from being attacked from outside of your network. They're right. still going to get attacked. You're just going to have that attack be isolated. It will be less damaging. So you still need to take measures to make sure that, that the devices themselves are protected. All right. Good advice. Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Dave. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.
Hey, listeners. We're always looking for ways to improve the N2K CyberWire network and maintain the intelligence-driven news experience that keeps you in the know on the latest developments in cybersecurity. We've launched our 2024 audience survey and would love for you to take a few minutes to share your feedback. And hey, there's even a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card if you complete the survey. Visit cyberwire.com slash survey. That's cyberwire.com slash survey and share your feedback now. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the dark net, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. Cyberwire. 